My name is Dean McCubrey and this podcast, Z-Alpha, looks ahead and examines the impact of emerging technology on our children. Hello everybody and welcome to Z-Alpha. This is the pod which really likes to look at technology, in fact, emerging technology and our relationship to it. In fact, I'm going to go another step further, especially Gen Z and Gen Alpha's relationship to it. And where is that actually going to take them and in turn take us? And I find that kind of cascading waterfall of technology into emerging technology, into relationship, into Gen Z and into Gen Alpha, and where it leaves all of us in society and the planet, it feels like something that we should be talking about all day long, right? Because to some degree, it's about our future and the future generations. And for that reason, I had to find somebody really smart, but not just smart, because we can have different types of smart, right? And we try and explain this to kids. We want somebody that is really rooted in practice, not theory, and data, not just a whole load of egotistical waffle. And today, guys, I have Stephen Robertson, author of Aliens Among Us, 10 Surprising Truths About Gen Z. And he's also the founder of Bold Training. Stephen is a internationally recognized keynote speaker. I've listened to him a few times myself. Uh, he's a consultant. He's a trainer. And he looks after not only corporates, but weirdly, and I, I, I have to ask the stats in a bit, he also does an extraordinary amount of work in summer camps with like something like 40,000 weeks of training in summer camps, which is why he has been at the coalface of working and listening to, like me, listening to Gen Z and Gen Alpha probably, in order to deeply understand where they are today. Not where we think they are as older people, where they actually are. Um, and Steve's work's taken him into the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles, and all sorts of fancy corporates. I think you're going to love this guy, and I can't wait to speak to him. It feels like a little quiet brother that I didn't know that I had. Um, and my pod producer, Zach, put a whole lot of stuff together for me because I've been running around like a headless chicken. And Zach showed me these questions. I was like, Zach, I love this guy. Um, so here we go. Stephen, it's superb to have you on. Dean, thank you. What a, what a lovely introduction. Made me feel very welcome. And I hope I can live up to all the expectations you've just laid out. Yeah. And I mean, tell us, you know, I gave you a little bit of that background, but tell me the bits that I missed that are kind of deeper inside you that you really want to make sure people understand. It's it's the subtext. It's the part of your operating system that really matters to you that the audience can't hear. Wow. that I mean, that's a great place to begin. A, a deep question in some ways. I've been fortunate in the 25 years or so that I've been in the States to be focused on next generations as they come through kind of ele elementary, middle and high school. And so the passion that I've had in the space has always been around coming alongside them and, and being a part of their journey because as an older generation, comparatively speaking to them, we know we have a whole lot of legacy knowledge and information that we'd love to pass down. And so on that journey, uh, part of the business that I'm in is focused on providing experiences, content and programming for teens, preteens as they go through, you know, the, those years. And so what's been amazing on that journey, and this is the subtext really, is that we've worked really hard to figure out what is it that they value? How do they want to interact? And, and what is it that we can do? In, in a way by coming alongside them to help them on that journey. And so that led me, you know, over the last almost 20 years to really spend a lot of time analyzing from a business perspective, what it is we do as a business and why we do it. And the customers that we have, which are preteens and teens and even older in some cases, um, have validated that what we've established and found in our rhythm has been working. And there's been a major shift in that 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 generational journey. But we've been lucky over the, the last, at least time I've been here, the last 25 years, to see multiple generations come through the programs and actually start off as really young, become teenagers, and then even work for us and then go on to careers. And so that journey has been an, an amazing, amazing thing. Again, my heart is 
is really to, to do what we can to come alongside this generation because they are 52% of the world's population is under the age of 30. And so that's where we should be spending our time. So that's why I choose to spend my time. And it, it is really fascinating that what you'd said is 52% of the, po- of the population. And when we think about those types of numbers and we think about the responsibility that lies on their shoulder and yet perhaps the disconnect or the assumption. So the disconnect with the generation or the assumptions that we make as adults because we thought it's like it was for us with the generational divide, which leads me into my first question, which is, you know, there's always been a generational divide. This one is different. And I've heard you speak about this before. Tell me about that. Why is it different? And it's, I've loved one of the analogies you've given, but I'm not going to try and sway towards the one that I want to hear. You tell us. Thank thank you, Dean. Um, two, two thoughts immediately, right? Um, and, and this is truly bubbled up in just many, many conversations as I'm trying to figure out ways to share what we've learned and what the research is showing us. And so the two analogies, um, that, that I, I'll grab is every generation looks at the one that comes after it. And at some point, and my parents certainly did this, um, and Ga- Gavin would, would concur is, uh, he's just a teenager going through a phase and they waiting as business leaders, as parents for this teenager, even a preteen now to snap out of it and become like them. And the problem with that, that mindset is that what we're deciding and, and putting out there is that we are right and they're wrong and they just need to come around. So that's the first component. And I said two analogies, but there's really one, right? So that's the first part of that analogy. And so where, where I want to go with it is this, is that data has shown us, and we've certainly experienced it on a global level. We've seen students over the years from more than a hundred countries. So it's not just a localized Philadelphia thing where I'm speaking from today. This is a global thing, right? And what we've seen is that every generation other than Gen Z and Gen Alpha um, are really different. And the analogy that I, I really like is that if we look at the primary colors, we take a can of blue paint, we add yellow to blue, and we know it gets to green. Aliens among us, green aliens. I've never really met one, but we're making the assumption they're green. And so as we add yellow into this paint can that is blue, slowly it starts to turn green. So what does that mean? Every generation other than Gen Z is blue. And they're blue because of a whole lot of factors of what's going on in the world and in their lives. And that's that's the color that they are. The yellow component or the yellow paint that we're adding, I call the perfect storm. And what that really looks like, in, in, at least in my definition, is that we have four components, one you'll like in particular, that make this yellow paint. So the first is technology and every generation through the, through history has actually flipped on a technology or on a couple of technologies. So, so technology is the first part of this perfect storm. The second part is world news. There's a thing called mean world syndrome, which is a cognitive bias, which makes us feel like the world is an unsafe place. Yet, believe it or not, we're according to a whole lot of data living in the safest, healthiest, wealthiest time in recorded human history, but we feel like we're going to die. And the third component is social media, which you know really, really well. And then the fourth is parenting and leadership. And so those four things have come together in a very unique way, which is the yellow paint. And as that gets poured into the bucket of blue paint, slowly it turns green. So what I want you to see, or what I like people to see, is that Gen Z and Alpha generation have only ever been green. They have never been blue turning green, which all of us are, by the way. We're all becoming aliens slowly but surely because it's the forces that that, that make us engage with each other differently and the world and AI's current, um, you know, in that conversation. And so that's why this generational divide is not the same as the ones that you just mentioned that we've always seen. Um, and I think that... If we catch that moment, that perspective, it really gives us a foundation to build on, which is what I'm excited about sharing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's the analogy that I'd heard. And I, I really like it because 
you know, in the work that we do is we teach preteens and teens and parents and teachers and psychologists and GPs, right? That's a lot. And we basically say our differentiator is that we're insane listeners and data collectors anonymously from all of these different groups. So we're trying to get as close to the truth in terms of feedback from all of those types of people. And one of the great challenges with the adults is trying to get them to understand that analogy because it's built into us to go, duh, you know, I was also a kid or, you know, you know, we remember when, and it's like, no, no, this is a different uh, turning point that, that occurred. So to come to that exact point is when do you feel, I mean, you know, I've been listening to the, to the feedback to the research of Gene Twenger and Professor Jonathan Haidt. Uh, and uh, Gene particularly has been talking about around about 2012 particularly. But when did you feel that this shift started to pick up its trajectory? Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, technologies come in in different phases. Sure. Is there a certain thing um, that you think happened? So... Every part of this journey is a journey, right? And so in just about every case of technology from the greatest generation, which was really the radio and the television, then we had the silent generation with the Hoover Dam, then we had the boomers, that was the microwave, and then we had Gen X, greatest generation of all. Oh, he's claiming. He's claiming. Pausing, pausing there for a moment. He claimed it. (laughs) Gen X, um, that, that was the PC. And then we have millennials with internet. And then we have Gen Z with a smartphone and, and Gen Alpha with, with AI. Right. So none of those are light switches. They're all just, you know, slowly mixing the paint and then the the yellow starts to spread and transition. But what, where we really noticed it, um, was about 15 years ago, there was almost a day and night shift in behavior, mindsets, values, um, communication, just the way our guests, our, our students that were visiting our programs for, from around the world were starting to engage with one another and, um, and what they valued, right? In terms of experiences and, and so on. And so that's when about 15 years ago is when I really started paying attention attention to it. I know you've got a really strong marketing background. And so we're always tracking data because we're selling a product, right? And so we're looking at those things and trying to understand um, how do we future-proof our business? And that's always been my journey, right? How do we future-proof our business? And one of the ways of doing it is, as you've just said, listen really, really well. And I don't claim to have it down 100%, but we were very deliberate about that process and certainly have made a whole lot of mistakes along the way. But we started to see the shift then. And then, you know what? I've realized that when I moved to the United States, it probably took about three months before I realized something, I was trying to explain to every single person I came into contact with that they were driving on the wrong side of the road. And at some point, it was a case of like, at this point, I'm just, I'm just going to drive on the other side, on the wrong side of the road. And so I'm, I'm seeing the same thing happen with older generations. Um, as soon as they start to gain a new perspective and start to understand a little bit of the data, and as soon as it starts to impact their lives and they start to see that others are having different fruit, as it were, or different outcomes, they start to listen differently. And that's why in the corporate space specifically, it's really compelling when you start to explain this journey because most of them want to future-proof their businesses. They understand that this group is 360 in the United States, $360 billion of disposable income. They are 40% of the consumer and they start to realize whether you're selling a widget or not, this is your consumer who's deciding what is being bought, how it's being bought. And so that, that force slowly starts to, to, to bring people around. Again, it's going to be a slow journey. Um, it's not a light switch. Sometimes I wish it was, but the truth is we're also figuring out more and more about this generation. Marketing companies help us a lot with that. But the flip side of it, they're also figuring themselves out. I mean, they haven't got it all figured out. Neither did we, as as and, and we probably still don't have, you know, as a generation. So um, that journey, 
has uh, accelerated and has been amplified over the last couple of years. I really believe COVID amplified a number of the behaviors, mm. both negative and positive. And, um, you know, the release of this new AI and the, the, the chat GPT style of, of, of AI has really amplified a whole different transition that we're, we're going to walk into. So, um, does that, did that answer your question? I yeah. hope I did. Yeah, it it a hundred a hundred percent answers my question, and and the and the irony around that, uh, you know, I, I hear so many people talk about the future of work, and I always put my hand up. I'm like really irritating. I'm like, guys, we're talking about the future of work and what the future of work looks like, and I'm like, well, you need to talk about the future workers, because how's your relationship going with future workers? Because they are the future of work. They're the people oh, yeah. in the work and, and so on. And the interesting thing around Gen Z, that's why I have so much respect for them. And again, respect for them doesn't mean that I look at them and go, oh, wow, you guys are so amazing. I'm so in love with you. That's not what I'm talking about. I see where they are at their ages in that generation. But there is one big difference as well, like because of the yellow. It's that, as you said, they're worth a lot. And the second thing is... They're more, they're stubborn. We were like stubborn, rebellious, but we would still comply. And it, that's what's so interesting is, is they actually have quite a lot of choices because of that exposure that they have. They're looking at all sorts of things and going, well, if you're not going to pay me that, then yeah, I've got options digitally. And I found that to be so fascinating when we're trying to mm -hmm. speak to CEOs about the generation. We're saying it's really different because they can actually just look at you and go, stuff you. They're not, they're not built the same way. They haven't inherited that same type of like, I need to sit in the ladder and go up the ladder. I mean, of course, there's a whole load of them that have, but that's the thing that I've surprised. I've su su been surprised by the way in which, um, I would say that uh, leadership in large corporates have gone, what are we going to do with this? And it's yeah. like, no, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to change. I'm not sure that they're going to change the way you want them to. And that's just too great Dude, I to think about. <laughs> I love that. Um, do you mind if I share something in that space? No, um, go for it. It's fascinating. You know, the, 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 there are just so many scenarios and stories we can unpack that talk about just that scenario you've painted. Um, Pax Romana is, is a story of the Roman Empire in their golden age. And when you look towards the end of the Pax Romana era, the Roman Empire crumbles primarily because we're good, we're good, we're good. Oh, we're not. And you look at Blockbuster Netflix. I mean, there's just too many for me to share, right? And um, so we have corporates thinking like, these guys need to get it together. But what the interesting thing is, is there's a there's a transition in the companies that are future-proof. And you said it well. It's not about, it's about understanding and listening and leading. Um, the companies that are future-proof understand that I need to treat my employees differently. And what does that really look like? It looks like, well, two things, leading and managing. And if you look at what those definitions of those words are, it's not what we've been doing for the last 20 years because the bench, as it were, has been really big. So if Dean isn't cutting it, you're out, Steve's in, right? And Steve is like, well, what can I do to please you, right? And so now we've got a generation and, and I'm going to unpack with your permission just four quick concepts of how our world has changed um, that just don't see the world differently. They have the, the, the four concepts really, when you, when you look through all the data, I've distilled it down to this. And certainly it's, it's broader than this, but just trying to narrow down in terms of access of our ownership is a place where we live right now. And that doesn't sound like a big deal until you really think about what does access over ownership really look like in our day-to-day -day lives. So access over ownership looks like this. I had LPs. I had VHS videos. I had DVDs, right? I don't have one thing in my house that can play that today. And so what's moved where I had ownership of all this stuff, I now live in a subscription model life. I have access to every song that was ever created through through the TV channels. I have access to any shows I want to see. And when I don't want to, I don't. So what does that mean? That means we live in a place where professional athletes are going from one place to the other at the drop of a hat. We look at this premise of access of ownership and leaders think, well, like, what's up with this person? Just 
Why would they, you know, decide to all of a sudden leave? Well, because they can. Why wouldn't they? Because you're not doing what you need to, because it's a subscription model. I'm subscribing to you until such time as I don't get any value, joy out of you, and then I'm gone. So that's there's two sides to every coin, right? That can happen in relationships, that can which means leaders have to understand they have to become compelling content for their own employees, which means upskill and a whole lot of things. And then the second thing is awareness of action, which is a transitional phase where they are right now. They have access to all information. So they're fully aware of things that most generations weren't. Haven't figured out entirely what to do with that information yet. The actions don't match up. And so we're still in that process of saying, well, I wouldn't have done that. We're in that seat of judgment where I have information and I'll share it even though I don't fully own that information yet. So we're in that awareness over action and we don't see as much action with the awareness. Alpha is going to totally own that space because it's a transitional phase. It's a journey. Fear over faith. And this is not a spiritual comment. This is, this is a comment about Fear of the world, fear of your boss, fear of your next door neighbor, as opposed to faith in the system, faith in, and so when you're making decisions out of that place, it, it really makes you look at the world differently. And then the last thing is similar to awareness of action, but it really isn't information over understanding. And that's where the older generations come in. The young generations have access to all information, which is why at the moment they don't value anything that the older generations have. Right. So you think about it from the perspective of we have, just for sake of numbers, 10 people that we're allowed to speak into our lives, 10 friends, 10 people that we listen to that will answer the phone when they call. In order for me and those 10 people to live happily, I just have to feel like they bring value to me. I like being around them and and whatever the case is. And because I have access to all information, I don't feel like I need the sage on stage who's this wise wizard who can tell me something I don't know. Because the truth is, I know everything. Or at least I have access to all information to know everything. So now you've got this line of 10 people. The older generations have to understand, I have to supplant one of those 10 people in the line in order to speak into this next generation's life. Because when I get into that process through their eight-second filter into their curated stream, there's a journey. Now, all of a sudden, what I can do with this information of understanding things, I can start to bring some application to this vast knowledge that they have. And in so doing, I now have value to them. And I, in that journey now, I have permission to speak into their lives. And now I'm providing this role of a GPS, a guide positioned by the side, a mentoring role, which is truly what the best leaders have always done. It's, you know, I'm smiling. It's actually slightly irritating me because I can see it now on the, on the zoom and I'm smiling and nodding because we, we honestly speak so similar. It's like as though we from the same company to some degree. I'm sure Zach, uh, in the background, our pod producer would be nodding. Um, and it's so funny. Like we try and explain this to kids, like what you're talking about, you know, the information asymmetry that like, you know, once upon a time we, you know, we used to listen to the salespeople and the salespeople would say, you must buy this. And we'd be like, okay, I should. Yes. And now it's like, ah, who's that guy? Salesman. You know, like I'll go find my information. I'll go check it out. I'll research it. I'll, in fact, I won't even like use Google because I'll actually just go to social anyway and just look at it on the hashtag or look at a couple of influencers and Bob's your uncle. That's who right. I'm going to go to. And it's just, it's just so funny. And, 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 uh, you know, Daniel Pink talks about information asymmetry and I, and I love his work because he also talks about persuasion. And, w- and we say to teachers, like, what you're going to need, it's the same thing that you're talking about. You're using the word compelling. And I always think about persuasion. I say to teachers, like, it's going to take a little bit extra from you. I'm sorry. I can't give you better news. Same with the parents. I, I actually did a parent session last night. I was like, you want me to give you silver bullets, which is, okay, now use this monitoring app and use that. And I said, you're still going to have a disconnect. You might just have things better ring fenced, but I promise you, they'll just go around the back door anyway with hacks, you know, like I'm so funny. I like, I literally show them like, let me show you how many hacks there are for screen time. Okay. So maybe you should be focusing your attention somewhere else. And in that attention, you're calling it compelling is, 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 you know, we've got to get closer and 
try not to be so talky down. I think you often talk about being alongside, you know, we're just like, let's, let's talk, let's listen, let's understand. There's definitely value from, from the adults, of course. And I think some adults feel like, no, there's, there's not, you know, we're feeling like there's not value because they won't listen. And I'm like, no, I just think that you, you, you're almost walking towards that, that, um, fight. But you've you've got the you, you've got the wrong um, weapon, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're coming with I'm the parent and I will teach you, and it's like no, dig around for the gaps and then take the gap, get in there, um, and it's really honestly, it's it's just so fascinating. And so on onto that, let's talk about that pulling on side. How do you think? You know, what's your advice to the adults? Now, adults can actually be. You know, right even through to uh, clinical psychologists, like they're struggling. They tell me, well, I look after the largest children's, ho- the child and adolescent psychiatry unit of the largest children's hospital in, in Africa. And I have done for three years, like talking to them about this world. And they're like, Phew. and they're so clever. I'm like, I walk in with big imposter syndrome going, I'm not academic. And they're like, can you tell us this? And can you tell us that? So what would we say to the adults? How do we bridge this gap? What are the, what are the, tips and tricks of pulling alongside and getting closer so first of all i love your heart because the way you just phrase that question speaks volumes right it's the it really it speaks volumes about a motive and one thing we've understood for generations is motive doesn't need words people can see it instantly just in the same way dogs can sense your fear right People, children can just sense motive, right? So when our motive is sincerely for their betterment, that's the foundation where it begins from. I think one of the things that I've had really good response to is when parents, in this case, and leaders too, but when parents understand that in an apocalypse, if everybody who was blue died today, green would be okay. They would bump their heads, but they would totally figure life out, right? Just as every other generation has. So what is our motive? Our motive is we don't want you to bump your head necessarily in the same place as we do or did, forgive me, because we've learned something along the way. However, one doesn't require the other, right? And so once you have that mindset is that if you don't figure out how to speak alien, if you don't at least understand what an alien eats, drinks, what alien likes to do on a Saturday or a Sunday, if you don't understand that, how will you ever build relationship? The saddest, most difficult pull to swallow is this, that we are in a Instagram world. We're in a customized, on-demand life that's not changing. And so when you are connecting building a relationship with your own child or somebody. It is a one-on-one customized built thing. And so when that motive is set well and your motive is truly to come alongside them and, dare I say, serve, you know, most parents will be like, that's all I do. You know, I get the food, I clean the house, right? But, but, but there's more to it than that, right? We're investing in our children to take them to tennis lessons, to take them to school, to extra lessons, to do this, to do that, so that they, well, this is a part of that journey. If you understand that this investment will truly bear fruit, that is where that, where it starts. And so what I usually share with, and I know you're familiar with the World Economic Forum, there's some data talking about kids that are just graduating sixth grade in the States, and that those children, 65% of those will work in jobs that don't exist today. So as a parent, as a teacher, as a leader, take a step back and say, well, what is important for me to teach them? Because it doesn't help being a doctor. It actually doesn't help being a lawyer. Right, that journey is long, and by the time it's it's not going to be relevant or valid. So, what skill sets can I truly teach them that'll help them tomorrow? And we're talking about things that are, in some cases, soft skills. But my, the only point I'm, I'm I'm trying to get to is this: when you start to behave in the way that you're hoping they will see and understand that you don't have a motive or that your motive is pure, it changes everything. And as soon as there's a relationship, you can start to speak into someone's life. Now, as a parent, you have some of that relationship, but it has to be slightly different. 
And the saddest thing about it is there is no other option. You have to win your own children over and have permission to speak into their lives. Because as I said before, there's a line of 10 people that are crazy cool, crazy awesome, that are already speaking into your child's life. And they have your child's attention. So are you going to just shrug your shoulders and say, well, that's not how it should be? Or are you going to start to play the same game and understand that for now, because tomorrow could be different, I have to understand how to get into that journey with my child. And that doesn't mean saying yes to everything. That just means leading, managing, parenting in a way that the motive is really clear. Yeah, sure. It's, and that, that, you know, that intention for the right reason. It's the knowing why you want to be doing that and then being intentional about slowly but surely creeping in, perhaps not by telling, but by listening and certainly by learning. Like, you know, by, by learning from our kids, it's, it's just fascinating. Uh, you know, that's, that's what's changed for me personally. You know, I've got two Gen Z's, I've got three kids, uh, uh, two Gen Z's and one Gen Alpha, and I'm fascinated by them. But the interesting thing, the most, uh, stark, reality for me is that my 18-year-old daughter last week left to go to her first year of university to study visual communications. And at the same time, I was picking up something like mid-journey. I was going to the mid-journey bot on Discord and typing in a couple of keywords and getting uh, the most phenomenal piece of, to some degree, dark artwork created within 45 seconds okay it doesn't matter it's like my magic trick i go there and i'm waiting for a cup of coffee and i go oh over over where we are in south africa we've got a thing called load shedding which is like electricity blackouts and i couldn't get a coffee and i said to the barista watch this and i wrote coffee and uh electricity blackout and it, the art that it gave me was like an illustrator would would work for days on it and then i thought oh as much as i'm celebrating that where does that leave my daughter who's going to finish a three-year visual communications ba okay she's going to do drawing and graphic design and 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 i'm like it comes to your point that you just said is i'm going to need to help her that she is going to be a visual translator she's going to be an originator she's going to be she's going to she may not necessarily be a designer or an illustrator. She's going to need to always be working around those skills to conjure up new magic with the technology and with the AI that's around her. It's like completely crazy. And I want to jump in on that for you because let's talk about your book. I think it's really important. So in your book, Aliens Among Us, Tell us a little bit more about it, um, you know, and I'm not actually doing it to give you a plug. It's that I know that there are these these 10 insights. So tell us, you can tell us all or some, but most importantly, tell us almost which is the bit that either surprised you or, or just popped out and was like, I just, I can't be the same again. So of those 10 insights, which one just goes, it's just like, this is like the golden goose that just laid an egg. Wow. Thank you. Um, so Dean, for me, I, um, that was a five year journey writing that book. And, wow. um, I didn't want to go to press because things are evolving continuously and so quickly. And so I feel like there's a continuation of that story before I even put my pen down, as it were. Um, at the risk of repeating myself, um, a new perspective is the key. A new perspective is the key because it's the most difficult thing to acquire. I have lived my life in a certain way. My results have proved that this way works. I don't care what you say about blue paint and green paint. I don't see that evidence. All I see is a generation that haven't got it together. And so that perspective shift, that new perspective, I, I truly believe is key. And what it really leads to um, is understanding that our focus, our journey, and this is what I like to really deposit with people, is a journey of upskill. Our role is to help upskill this next generation, give them skills in places that they don't have them. Really easy in the corporate space. I have a hundred, hundred examples, even at home. I I, I can, can I give you one silly example? Mm -hmm. uh, a parent, um, I, he's a CEO, business owner 
asking me about same question like what do i do with my children like how how do i how do i stay relevant in their lives i love that question that means you've seen something you hadn't been aware of and um so what we did over christmas uh we were talking just pre-christmas and and i said to him so what does christmas look like for you and this is part of the upskill um story so they usually go out and work at a soup kitchen i'm like that's great and then they go out and they have takeouts right so i said well do you believe in, we'd already spoken about this thing called invisible curriculum where you have an opportunity to really invisibly build muscles that tend to be weak in your children. And that's the future proofing key. And when they look back, the dopamine, which I know you focus on as well, the dope, dopamine, uh, the brain science around it is spectacular and it moves them away from the other things that are, are so negative on the other side of that coin, right? And so I said, how about this? How about you take two envelopes, two kids, and you put the money for the for the dinner in those envelopes, write their name on it. And then you go and hide the envelopes in the house. And it's like, okay, okay, well, where are you going? And I'm like, here's the thing. So I don't want to say teaching them perseverance, which is one of the really areas, or I, I don't want to say teaching them curational communication or problem solving. Like, okay, today we're going to go and hunt for our food. I mean, that's a little difficult in this day and time, but this is close to that, right? So you hide these things. And you tell them, guys, when we're going out for dinner tonight, each person's going to pay for their own dinner. So you have to find it. And I said, well, now let's play that scenario out. They, One of them finds the envelope. Now what do we do? Well, do you help the other one find the envelope? And they search, right? So there's that whole problem-solving component. Neither of them find it. Okay, so you go to dinner. You and your wife have dinner, and they watch you. They won't die, Right? But isn't that an interesting story? And I can tell you this. What's amazing about that story is they will never forget that story and it will be retold. So it goes from upskill to narrative. And so as soon as you start to create narrative in your relationship with someone, the narrative is usually based on an upskill or a a mutual uncommon ground or a bite-sized experience. All of a sudden now you start to claim space in someone's life. And you add value and people are like, ah, so um, those are the simple things. And as I said, I've got so many of those stories, including stories in the corporate space, where when you look at what are the little things that I can do, Mr. Miyagi, right? Daniel's son, Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off. What are you doing? That premise is really powerful because the dopamine when somebody does something hard is irreplaceable and we are wired for that dopamine fix and the dopamine fix we're getting from other places primarily social or at least screen time just doesn't do the same which leads to all this trickle-down effect of um, depression and anxiety and so on so while i'm saying this isn't a global fix it's just a place to begin and one of the things i i hope people will take away if they take the time to read the book and if they don't i'm telling you now so you can just go and do it you've got to figure out how to be compelling in someone's life. And the first time you do it, which is really fascinating, and you see that the results are positive, you get a dopamine fix and you realize like, whoa, I'm onto something here. And so it's that whole journey of once you start and you start to see the results, you start to realize, well, maybe there is something to it, whether the theories are right or not. The way I'm engaging with this person our relationship is benefiting from that. And that, that connection, that, that brain science around that relationship and connection is really what I want people to see. Whether you're in a business or whether the, as a parent, that is the foundation for building the next step successfully. And, and, you know, to that point, I think it's a really important addition to say that my sense is that because the the yellow because they are so exposed and we're watching them and they go wow they're seeing so much or they're so good at this thing or whatever i've noticed that parents almost don't even know how to approach that which is to 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 get their kids to be frustrated and to have to learn patience or have to try hard there's some semblance not obviously in every home but there's some semblance of we feel a bit bad about doing that to them and yet if we actually go back we know that some of the great lessons were the ones that were hard and I think it might be because we've looked and we see these kids and we're like wow and at 10 11 12 they're able to do this this and this and it's absolutely extraordinary and because of the information asymmetry and they have so much that they've seen and they can talk you in and out of stuff we forget that it's okay to go 
Guys, go find the envelopes. No, honestly, trust me. Invisible curriculum. You're going to love it. Sorry. Can't bend on it. But parents go, like, can't. Honestly, in my sessions, they say, can I? And I'm like, what do you mean, can you? Of course you can. It's just that it's, it's okay. It's okay for them to be frustrated. And, um, I think that's one of the golden pieces is it mustn't be horrible. It doesn't need to be like, I'm trying to slightly hit you with a stick to teach you the lesson, you little whippersnapper. It's not that. It's, it, it's, it's about like bringing them along the journey of the invisible curriculum, as you say, which I love. I love. I might borrow it, but I'll always quote you. It's yours. No, that's gold, Dean. What you, what you're sharing there is gold. You know, we've got a generation that's growing up really fast and really slow at the same time. And so they are fundamentally wired differently. So it's not surprising that we as adults or parents are trying to figure out, well, where is the entry point that makes sense? Right. Um, it, it, but you know, it's okay for trial and error. The key here is trial. What we tend to do, and bear in mind, we've coming through two or three decades of this, is absent leadership, absent parenting. And I know we've had the, the helicopter parents and the, you know, we, I, I get that. But generally speaking, the, 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 the global mindset has been figure out, do it on your own, somewhat, um, absent. And when the parents have been involved, it's with an iron fist, right? And so it's kind of this, this weird transition that we're getting out of. And so, yeah, the entry point is, 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 is hard. I think what's really interesting and fascinating about growing up fast and slow is yes, they, they do have an incredible amount of knowledge and ability. Um, and yet they, in many cases, are not mature enough to process a lot of stuff that's coming at them. So, you know, I, I really like to focus on bite-sized pieces and not try and solve an entire equation because truthfully we can't, right? Mm. And so what I really share with leaders and with parents is just do one thing, one thing, just start the journey and it will guide it. You know, you'll be guided through that process yourself. And again, it just comes from motive. If our motive is truly to help them, what we realize is they're already better positioned to live in this world than we are. We are going to be playing catch up for the rest of our days and it's going to be tiring. Yes. So you have two options. I consulted with a company, an engineering company, amazing, amazing company. They do some really cool things. And so the CEO and the leadership team bring me in and we're talking about next gen employees. It's the only generation that's coming into the workforce. And after this whole journey, mapping out what does mentorship look like? What does mentoring do in the business? How do we do that? How do we roll out this plan? Why is it important? All that stuff, right? We go through that. And the CEO looks at me and he says, Steve, that was amazing. And I'm like, well, I'm so glad. Can I help you think through where you're going to begin? And he's like, no, no, don't worry about that. Because I'm going to be retiring in five years. And honestly, I'm just going to leave it to the next guy because I, this is just so big. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just start with one thing and you'll be surprised at how quickly you, you get into this journey. I had a school principal say literally that sentence to me last <laughs> Monday. And if she's listening, she like almost pulled me aside and she was like, whoa, honestly, I'm so glad I don't know. She'd been in the job for 31 years. And she said to me, I, I, I you know, let me tell you something. I'm not, I'm not capable for this, which, which is, which is really amazing. I wanted to ask you one very quick question, an important one. Um, what do you think, like with your work with them, what do you think we can learn? What do you think adults can learn from, from Gen Z or how Gen Z interacts with the world? Can I tell you why? Is that was, that's been a transformational shift for me myself is when, when you get off your high horse as an adult, and you look at it, as you said, we're actually the ones catching up and you start looking at them. Like for me, I've loved a, a youthful insight on something and I've loved humor, you know, because they, they're just so exposed to all sorts of stuff. I'm like, God, these kids are so clever. It's just so clever and so funny. Um, and you know, things like that. That's what I've loved. So again, for the adults, if, if they could approach it with a slightly, different thing and you can say to them trust me i work with these kids if you come at it through this door it could change you not just them what are those things that you love about gen z dean i'm going to lean on something you've said and it's got to do with listening um i've seen this um 
through corporations in my own business and certainly with the, with the, the students that we see every year from, from all over. The key is listening. When you give this generation that are the most creative and innovative generation we have ever encountered an opportunity with the right circumstances to figure things out, it is mind-boggling what they will come up with. I won't bore you with the whole story, but I went through an RFP, a request for proposal, which we do regularly in our business, and I had a Gen Z come alongside, and the lessons he learned along the way was spectacular. I'm going to just give you the closing of that story. We eventually got to the place of bumping our heads a bunch of times where he brings this proposal to me and he says to me, Steve, here it is. And I happened to be um, in the middle of a few things that day and I said to him, you know what? I'm really busy today. Before I take this from you, just tell me one thing. Is this your best work? And he said, can I have one more day? And I'm like, yes, help me. He comes back. The next day he comes back and he says to me, okay, here we are. And I said, so the first thing I said to him was, did you change anything in this proposal from yesterday? And he said, yes, I actually did. And I said, tell me about that. And he said, well, I was at home going through this, uh, you know, and his mom asked him what he was doing. He actually asked his mom for advice, took the advice and implemented it in this RFP. When I looked at the RFP, and as I said, we've done many of them, it was not how I would have presented an RFP. But the net result of what he came out with and the process that he went through to to bring it together was so upskill, transformative, Danielson, Mr. Miyagi. It was amazing, amazing. And whether it was exactly the same color gray that I would have painted it, which it wasn't, we submitted it and we got the bid, right? So the, the, the learning moment there is, you're, if, if you are not prepared to trial and error, you are as good as dead in the water. You really, really are. You're, you're dead in the water and you're giving them nothing to move from. And so where does it begin? It begins with listening. Because once you've listened to the whole process, the whole story, you can come in with some legacy wisdom and knowledge, which we have as an older generation, and you can plant the seeds in the right place as opposed to coming in as an SOS, a sage on stage, second industrial revolution, it's still in play today. This is what I want you to do and how you need to do it. That mind shift is key and is truly bearing amazing fruit. So good. And so in that, right, what we are seeing is, you know, we've, We've done, we've launched this new thing, which is the world's first social media current affairs video show in schools. So schools can teach kids partly about online safety, then about exploration online from the foundation of that safety, and then into excellence through exposure, information, practice, tips, tools, apps, whatever. Okay, so it's kind of, it's, it's a journey. Do you know what's been crazy though? is that it's been so difficult for me to get schools to take that leap of faith. I mean, this year has been much better. Like, And it is brilliant. Do you know why it's brilliant? I'm not in it. I have a team, more than 50% of my team are Gen Z. They're aged between 18 and 23. And they are amazing. And they are painful. They drive me absolutely dilly. And uh, Zach's a millennial. I think even Zach, the millennial, gets irritated with the Gen Zs because they are different, as often you've said. So, but they do something phenomenal because it is quite authentic and it is quite raw and, and it's, and it's put together by apps and tools and it's not perfect. And it's like, cool. You know, like I remember showing them some, some visuals, a storyboard, and they were like, no, no, that's not. Look, come, go and have a look at Emma Chamberlain. Is she all made up? No. Is she in her bedroom? Yeah. Is she the most famous person around? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they're right again. So here's the thing. These kids and what we've created is so amazing and it's now proving to be so. But why, what's the deal here with, with education? Why is education, why are we not wanting to address the invisible syllabus? And why are schools so scared, in your opinion? Yeah. So... I, I saw this quote, next week has been exhausting, right? And that's where we are. We are, Our bandwidth and our lift on a daily basis is so significant 
that the concept and idea of adding anything that requires me to think and be creative, like I just don't have the bandwidth for that, right? And so then you look at a school and they answer to all sorts of authorities. I deal with a lot of universities and a lot of schools. And so I'm actually speaking to a school on Tuesday, a university on Tuesday in, in a similar space. And going into tele-university, guys, you need to rethink education. How do you think that's going to go down? It's not, right? But the point is just this. Whether you like it or not, this generation is going to rewire the world. Now, I'll use a terrible analogy. Um, that is is unfortunately kind of true. If the coffee shop on the corner cannot show that their beans are sourced in a way that makes Gen Z happy, if they can't see that it's sustainable, if they whatever those components are, that coffee shop will stop selling coffee, and the Gen X will start making coffee at home because he's too lazy to get into the car and drive to the coffee shop. And before you know it, that coffee shop will no longer exist, right? Now you look at education and answering to higher-up authorities, answering to parents, many of which are not as plugged in and have the idea. And you have the, 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 the responsibility now of trying to stop a massive tanker on the ocean and turn it around. Apparently, that's a very difficult thing to do. I've, I've never done it. I don't know, but apparently it's hard to turn a ship around in the middle of the ocean um, in, in an efficient way. And so that's where we are. And so what you start to see is that I, and I'm, 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 I'm projecting this is our next reality, is that the schools, and I've seen a few models here in the States, that are based on project-based discovery, problem-solving, um, and industry-based experiences are going to be the school of tomorrow because they're teaching you a skill, not a theory. And the theory comes along with it. Universities are in for a major rude awakening, especially with ChatGPT and the AI that's just been released and how... Uh, companies are adopting it already, going into a four, six, eight, ten-year journey at university and the cost associated with it just to come out and be 15 steps behind the rest of your cohort. So it's a case of if schools don't rethink, they're in trouble. Can I share one example of a school here? Please so there's please. a high school here that I'm, 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 on, I'm on the board and, and they're a really together high school. So what they did is they brought the board together and they said, okay, what we want to do is we want to figure out what we need to provide students that graduate 12th grade. So one of the first things we did was ask the board, as a 12th grade graduate going into the first year of kind of real work, what are the things that are missing? We'll get a bunch of Older millennials and Gen Xs and boomers together, and they can find fault like there's no tomorrow, right? So the list of like, they don't know how to do this, 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 this was a mile long, okay? Then we went and we, in the school district area, we spoke to a couple of businesses and asked the same question. What is it that's missing when they arrive at your doorstep? So we've got this entire list of things. And so the school, this is what they should be doing, figured out, I'm going to create an elective, they created this elective that touched on the core things that we distilled out of this process. And so you can elect to do this and go through this course. And if you finish the course and you pass the course, we got 200 local businesses to guarantee anybody that completed this elective a first round interview. The first round interview is not relevant in this story, although it is, but what I'm trying to say to you is if you can start to identify these gaps, and I call these gaps, um, a, a lot of them, let me rephrase that, as in the soft skills, these muscles that just haven't been developed, had a lot of opportunity to be developed, which we know when you're trying to future-proof somebody they're going to need. If schools don't start to focus in those areas, we're in real trouble. What do you need to learn? You need to learn physics. You need to learn coding. You need to learn languages. That is the key. Almost anything else does not matter anymore. And I'm saying that really carefully because I know you can argue that from a million different directions. But that is what the, the kid of tomorrow really needs to be future-proof. And so trying to figure out where you can plug in 
some of these holes, which we've done successfully, and it turned out one of the professional teams I work with has done the same. They've taken that model and rolled it out to all of their uh, season ticket holders to say, if you're looking for somebody to work for you, speak to us because we have thousands of employees that we see every single week and we can tell you who the rock stars are. It's amazing, right? So you're starting to have this upskill opportunity in everything that you do. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that is just a compelling story for where a school that wants to make a difference can. It's not like it's entirely broken, but it does need some tweaks. It, yeah, it does. And it, it kind of leads me almost to my final roundup question in, in a way, which is, you know, it's a combination of so many things that you've just said, but you know, what, what are we, you know, we've mentioned we need to get alongside the kids and we need to work out what they might be needing going forward. I, I don't know, you know, to your point just now, you know, Dell have just done that research uh, with Gen Z and uh, Gen Z said, well, 37% of them said, listen, you know, the stuff that we're learning at school is not, not going to help us by the time we get out, you know, which is fascinating. So, if you were the minister of education and um, parenting, say, for example, in your, in your country, and you had a chance to put in that invisible syllabus and also, so uh, a, a digital education. I know that over there where you guys are in the US that you do have digital citizenship and so on. But even there's a difference with digital citizenship 1.0 and digital citizenship 2.0. Like our social media current affairs show, in my opinion, is 2.0 because all so many other people have been using it's it's kind of corporate speak and it's still hitting the stuff around online safety and yet the kids are now to some degree they're aware of it but we're missing like the updated messaging where things land and hook and they're like ah oh, you did that well i'm giving you credit for teaching me like that okay for that it's going into the brain so if you were the minister um what what are some of the things that you'd really like to see and and they can be across you know they may include you know parent training and this and that what would you do to go right guys this is how we're going to close the gap with gen z well first of all i'm so i'm so excited that the position is vacant and um consider this my resume <laughs> submission <laughs> exactly um, so I, I think the way to, to, to answer that question, at least in my, my initial thought, would be really simple in the sense that the first step would determine the next steps. And the first step is just that. It's an entry into a space that sincerely needs to be reevaluated, right? So this isn't an answer. It's a progressive journey and the way to begin that journey. I love the fact that you touched on um, – kind of a, a global model in that I really believe parents, leaders, businesses, and students, and all the different categories need to be part of the same journey, or at least a part of a new journey. Because what we're talking about is we're talking about rewiring an entire globe, right? Because it is so juxtaposed right now. And the synergy in an ideal world has to come from both sides. There has to be an aha moment on both sides for this to begin. I, I really believe that any educational based journey that isn't rooted in technology is going to fail. We live in that space. Um, AI is showing us that on a regular basis now. And so, Using the tools that we have through AI, through just access to everything that we have would be the foundational syllabus where you begin, right? And for me, um, we ran a program, an internship program, and it touched on the two things that I really think are important. Putting a student in a real life experience for a period of time during the summer to walk in the shoes to see what it was like. The learning blew our minds and their minds, right? So it's that idea of a, what does it really look like? We even in one of our business programs, we got businesses to bring problems, real industry issues for the students to solve. And they were always blown away by the innovation that was there. So what am I saying? I'm saying this is 
there has to be a really delicate balance between technology, theory, and practice and application. That's the key. I want kids to learn math by applying it in a bite-sized project that is based on an outcome of a project. And when you connect it to reality in some way, it changes everything. It changes the syllabus. It changes the outcomes. It changes the motives, even the evaluation. That is what's valuable. We've always said that this skilled work or trade school idea is really good because it gives you this practical experience. Well, the reality is we need that experience from the beginning because what are, what are we preparing these kids to do in 10 years? Well, we don't know. So we've got to teach them how to problem solve. We've got to teach them how to use code. We, that's the outcome that we're looking for. And so as, as minister of education, I would create a school where it's based on bite-sized pieces. I would create projects that kids could select to be a part of almost across ages and yeah, that I'd, I'd need an educational expert to help figure that process out, right? Can you put a 10th grader? My daughter was in ninth grade and she had 12th graders in her math class. So it can work, right? So I don't know how long that, that gap is. But for people to work together and what are we learning in that journey? We're learning how to connect. We're learning how to build relationship. We're learning how to communicate. We're learning how to... The skill sets are what's important now. Knowledge is no longer important because it's ubiquitous. We have access to all information. So I don't need to know. I, yesterday, I used AI to do a crazy formula in Excel. I don't need to know math anymore. I mean, unless you're going to be... Okay, I'll take that back. Mathematicians and math and physics are crazy important. I get that. But for the man in the street... There is technology that can help me with that. So instead of making me learn an equation, teach me how to solve a problem. Teach me how to address an issue. And so that's where I begin. I love your, your, your mindset about how do we bring parents into this? How do we have educators rethink and relook at this? An important part of the journey and leaders have to do the same. We all have to be rewired a little bit. And as I said earlier, I don't think the entire thing is broken. But again, as you take a step in a new direction, very quickly the path will become clear and you'll go left or right. And before long, you'll look back and you'll see, wow, the fruit of what we've done there is really valuable. We need to continue in that direction. I think that the, re, the word reevaluation is so important because we are sitting at that intersection, particularly since last year's, particularly since something like ChatGPT, uh, you know, and, and all of those, those language models, which are now playing out and will continue to play out. And I think will have actually just as significant an impact on society as social did well over a decade ago. I really believe that. And there's going to be both good and bad in that as well, because of course, of the negative influences that exist in our society and in some of those corporates and stakeholders and greed and so on. It's going to get really fascinating. Like right now we're in the very enamored stage. And I think people are going to start going, Oh, uh, hold on. Uh, ethics, compliance, regulation. Um, where are we headed? Where, uh, did, can anybody tell me what 2025 looks like? And so on. It's going to be really, really interesting. So if you don't mind for me, what I'd love you to do, because I would imagine that a lot of people will want to read your book and they would love to find out where they can get it. Can you give us that information? I don't know whether we, whether you tell us a certain sites or the price or the price changes per region. Let us know how do we get hold of some of this gold, please. Thank you. It's available on Amazon and, and in book form and in, in Kindle. If you do search Aliens Among Us, please add in Gen Z because it turns out there's a number of books called Aliens Among Us and they're about real aliens, not the ones I'm pretending are aliens among us right now. Yeah, probably the easiest way is just to pull it off, off Amazon. Yeah, okay. easy enough to do that. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, for me, uh, as I said, my parting shot is it is really refreshing to speak to somebody that I'm learning from, not that I can't learn from people in, in this trade, but particularly you, like I feel a, a great affinity, but also I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, oh, and I, you know, I've been baffled by this whole thing of why, why haven't schools, I always scratch in my head, I drive Zach mad, like how come schools aren't just like clambering for this? Like everybody should be clambering. And then what you said next week has been exhausting. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, why am I, 
you know of course you know it's in your own hunger and your own passion and stuff you can you can suddenly you know think that it's absolutely apparent but of course the world is is a little bit exhausted and there's a heck of a lot for principals and teachers and for any of those principals and teachers and parents i do totally acknowledge that because i'm a parent myself and it is exhausting so so i do get it but just sometimes i just wish that we could make a a, a more deeper a more profound impact for students uh, because i think that we're at the this most insane intersection uh, for them, for us as parents and for society. And so with that very much in mind, I would really like to thank my guest, Stephen Robertson, my new brother from another mother from very far away, uh, my career brother from another mother. Uh, I would really like to thank you for Honestly, just like you and I could rap, I'm waiting for Gavin, uh, who is our co-pod producer, to say to me, can you guys stop talking, please? Uh, he's about to wait, wait for him to come up. On, so there he comes. Uh, and just to say to you a big, big thank you. And I hope that everybody gleaned a lot from this sage. Thank you, Dean. Honor and a privilege. And on that very note, uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode of Z Alpha. And for now, we shall say thank you very much and goodbye you've been listening to another production from solid gold podcasts